Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our read-through of Mockingjay, reading chapter three. To start us off, can you give us a recap of what happens in this chapter? Yeah, so Katniss can't sleep because she's stressed, and Prim helps her talk through becoming the Mockingjay and what it could mean for PETA. They come up with a plan for Katniss to agree under certain conditions, which she presents at the command meeting the next day. It is agreed that Prim can keep Buttercup, Katniss and Gale can go hunting, Gale will be by her side, and Katniss gets fiery when demanding that Peta, Johanna Mason, and Anobaria will be officially pardoned, and Coyne will announce it to all of District 13 and the remainder of District 12. Coyne and Katniss also agree to flip a coin for who gets to kill Snow. Plutarch presents Katniss with Cinna's sketchbook of outfits for Katniss as the Mockingjay and says that he has a surprise for her. The elevators open on a floor that feels off and a guard tells them to leave. Katniss and Gale work together so that she can slip past the guard and she finds her prep team beaten and shackled. Yikes! Yeah, a lot happens this chapter, which is why we decided to (laughs) devote a whole episode just to this chapter. So why don't we start with our striking moments? What moments struck you during this read-through? So something that I was noticing is how when Prem and Katniss are talking, it's clear that Prem also doesn't trust District 13. Totally. Or, I I don't know, maybe that would extend to authority at all. Mm. Any sort of government, any type of leadership that she just has grown up very distrustful as well. And so seeing that both she and Katniss have that in common, and probably that's a very common thing for most of Penham. Maybe District 13 doesn't have that because they haven't had to live under the same conditions for so long. But yeah, that, that was just interesting that automatically she's like well how would we know that they would keep their word yeah absolutely i think that it shows how savvy she's become in the year plus since katniss was first reaped because as they had to lie to peacekeepers and they had to be on camera and and do all these other kinds of performances she clearly has been able to be on the surface accepting and yet still more critical in how she's thinking about things and how she's seeing, yeah, the authority figures around her and, and how they want to treat or use Katniss. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and she's had a couple years worth now of just watching people try to use her sister mm-hmm. and the different ways in which they're doing that. So, yeah, it, it sadly makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can imagine that Katniss is probably discussed how upset she was at the outcome of the 75th games that Peta was captured she wasn't she didn't know about this plan and so prim is aware that the rebels have their own agenda Mm -hmm. absolutely i was also thinking about coin and the others talking about how they would present Mm. her and gail publicly and she's just so taken off guard by them all talking about this and it was also just another great moment of a reminder that the series isn't just a YA love triangle story yeah because Katniss says it's demeaning for them to think that she's worried about who is presented as her lover on screen when with everything that's going on yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the point. She's in a war, and this is so far down on her list of the worries that she has yeah. that it's, yeah, frustrating to her. Yeah. Everyone is trying to make Katniss's story about a love triangle, both yeah. in the books and outside of the books. Yeah. And she just wants to fight a rebellion <laughs> and protect the people she cares about. She just wants to kill Snow. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's such a, a good point. Yeah, another small one I had was actually kind of coming from reading these things, but also from a conversation that we had had on Patreon in our discussions of 
catching fire in that book when Katniss said the word friend when she was thinking about Senna. Mm. Thinking about when he became her friend. And especially for someone like Katniss who doesn't really consider herself having many or any friends at the, at the beginning. And a capital friend at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then in this chapter when Katniss hugs the sketchbook, it was, yeah, just making me think about her relationship with Sinna and, yeah, this unlikely friendship and closeness that she was able to form with him despite all of her expectations of what her stylist would be. And I, I do think that probably part of it has to do with the fact that, yeah, he's he's the only adult in her life that she didn't feel like she had to take care of in some way because she's definitely felt that for her mom. Even Hamish, who was helping her in a lot of ways previously, she would still get extra alcohol stockpiled. She would still go into his house and make sure that he was okay and mm-hmm. things like that. And so the adults in her life she's still felt like she had to take care of and i think cinna is kind of the opposite of that he does things for her that can help her with surviving and things like that and she was able to to rely on him a bit in that way and so then now that he's not here anymore she still has something from him that is still giving some care and support to her even after he's dead. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that now that he is dead, friend is the only word that she can use for him. Mm. Because ex-stylist is just so removed for what their relationship was and, and all the things that he did for her. Yeah, absolutely. But what about you? What are some of the striking moments that you had? I had a couple about their sleeping arrangement. Mm-hmm. One was just the fact that Prim is sleeping in the same bed as her mother at age 13, mm-hmm. which, you know, certainly in our society isn't very common. By that age, children tend to be sleeping on their own, uh, kind of having their own personal space, which is, of course, a, a, a huge privilege. Absolutely. Um, but it just is another reminder of the way that... District 13 rations everything, including beds, that there is a limited supply of these to go around. And so not everyone can have their own space. Mm -hmm. But I was also thinking about how Katniss mentions that nobody can sleep with her because of her nightmares and her thrashing that she has. And I think it was just another great example of why PETA is so important to Katniss, because he's the only one who could sleep with her. He's the only one who shared in her experiences and who not only was able to sleep with her because he cared about her, but because it was comfort to both of them to mm-hmm. share, you know, the trauma and, and the, the PTSD symptoms of, that comes with sleep together. They didn't have to feel bad about waking the other up in a way that they would with someone else. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, just I think a good framing device helping to remind the reader why PETA is important to her what he means to her. Yeah, and why victors in general seem to get along with each other much better than others in their districts. I think it also highlights her different perspective on PETA and the other victors, the other tributes, than everyone else in District 13. And I was thinking even about how they're calling PETA a traitor, and they're talking about war crimes and things like that. It's just kind of slapped to the face when you consider that PETA never declared loyalty to the rebellion. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He, he never said, like, that he that, that he was willing to do these kinds of things. Obviously, he's district, and in a fight between district and capital, you can have these kinds of sides, but he has never been in a position where he can actually make that kind of decision. You know, and having to choose between two things is still a limiting of options. Because mm-hmm. um, maybe... PETA would be a pacifist. Maybe he wouldn't want to be in a war at all. He did did believe in a ceasefire. I, I don't know. You know, we can't know. But yeah, the idea that he's a traitor comes with <laughs> so much assumption that uh, is just interesting. And it's going to keep me, it's, I think I'm going to keep that on my mind because 
Maybe we'll see Katniss do some traitorous things, too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> a defiant person like Katniss, yeah. Um, She's never done anything <laughs> traitorous in her life. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just, I thought that was, that was interesting. That is interesting. And it's also, like, Katniss, even in that moment, is annoyed mm -hmm. as well because... She's like, well, you're all benefiting from things that he's done. Mm -hmm. Like, even, for example, pledging one month's winnings to Rue and Thresh's families. That is a rebellious, subversive act, and that helps fuel these things as well. And, and then to just be like, oh, well, he's a prisoner, who's tortured and he's in a war that he didn't start and hasn't even had the opportunity to decide if he wants to join. Mm -hmm. He's just taken captive. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really ridiculous. It's like, I mean, frankly, you could see it as, oh no, the capital took him captive instead of District 13 took him captive. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's kind and of how Katniss like... saw it at the end of Catching Fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's also like, are seventeen-year-olds traitors? <laughs> like, right? They're still a minor. Yeah, is so. he? Can he be a war criminal at seventeen? Right. Like, it's just <laughs> just for saying we should have a ceasefire. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's... Well, and also it's really annoying because it's all of these people who have not been living under the oppression of the capital and have not been under the torture of the capital mm -hmm. that are yelling these things. Like, if it was people from District 12, that's more understandable, even if it would still be frustrating. Yeah. But, like, District 13 has been safe from all of this for 75 years. And so, yeah, it's just... It's a lot district 13 <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> so yeah that that word very much stuck out to me <laughs> but but let's move into our our next segment this is from another point of view where we look at perspectives other than katniss's so who did you bring what i was thinking about is prim yeah because this is the first time we really see her have a conversation with katniss that isn't saying goodbye mm -hmm. at, after the reefing in book one or mentions of her but not really seeing the dialogue conversations in, in book two. And so I was just really thinking about what Prim would be feeling and just kind of this happiness at being able to share in a deep conversation with Katniss and like not not because the the type of thing we see all the time it's like ah oh, i don't want to be treated like a child and mm -hmm. they're finally treating me like an adult not that but because she doesn't want katniss to have to go through all of these incredibly difficult things alone and have to face that without other people there to support her and mm. i'm sure she knows that Hamish betrayed her and pete is not there and madge is dead so of the people that she was close to the only person left is gail and so yeah i i was just thinking about her having kind of this happy feeling after that conversation of just being able to share and help someone that you love feel a bit better to, to try to solve something together and kind of in turn feel closer to them because of that exchange. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking a lot about Katniss's monologue when she thinks about how Prim has been forced to grow up too quickly for Katniss's taste. Mm -hmm. And it made me think, you know, is that true for Prim, though? Is that true for Prim's taste? I think it's certainly problematic when children have to take on responsibilities at that age. Mm -hmm. But it's also the reality, unfortunately, of their lives. And I can see Prim living up to Katniss's example because Katniss had to take on so much responsibility at such a young age. She had to grow up mm -hmm. so quickly to become the person who's providing for their family, including yeah. Prim. And so, yeah, to see Prim also maturing more quickly because of the circumstances that they're in and wanting to 
be there for Katniss, be there for her family. I yeah, I, I can imagine Prim wanting to embody the things that she loves and admires about Katniss. Absolutely. And thinking about in the aftermath of Katniss volunteering mm. for Prim, all of these terrible things that have happened to Katniss is the result of that choice yeah. to volunteer for Prim. And it's not Prim's fault, but she would have to feel guilty to some degree. And so being able to feel like she can shoulder a little bit of the burdens on Katniss after everything that's happened to her. Yeah, must also feel a little relieving, mm-hmm. I, I could imagine. Because it's it's so difficult to see somebody struggling and not be able to do anything. And also not be able to do anything because the other person doesn't trust you enough to be able to have you help them. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that it's a it's a big moment in the book, but I could also imagine it might be a big moment for just them and their relationship as well. And yeah, like you said, Katniss thinking Prim's growing up too fast. And I'm like, ah, by this, I mean, the, not that that's not true, but by age 13, which is what we assume Prim would be mm-hmm. at this point, Katniss had already been signing up for Tesserae. She had already been providing all of the food and shielding Prim from everything she could shield her from. Yeah. Yet. I think it's it's a very, I mean, I'm not a, a older sibling, so I don't know what the feeling, but I imagine it's a very accurate feeling for older siblings that can often feel this, not, not just protectiveness, but, you know, they're always younger than you. So there's always a distance from when you were that age and, and how you viewed it, uh, sometimes slightly skewed. Yeah, and... On your point of Katniss not having people close to her, and your earlier point about Prim showing that she doesn't trust District 13, mm-hmm. this conversation also is a way for Prim to say, hey, you've got me on your side. I'm an ally. I'm I, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help in any way I can, even if it's against 13, mm-hmm. which Definitely. Katniss needs right now. Absolutely. And, you know... <laughs> It's just really nice to see Katniss not have to explain things, you know? It's not like a situation with Effie or, you know, someone who's more privileged. (laughs) Like, even Senna, I'm sure there'd be things that Mm -hmm. she would have to explain. And Prim, she, she doesn't have to. Totally, yeah. The other person that I was thinking about, their POV is Coin, actually, from this chapter. I was just thinking about her being annoyed (laughs) because this very important child comes in Mm. and is making demands when Coin is used to being the top tier of this hierarchical power in District 13. And this person isn't cooperating (laughs) and this person is now yelling at you (laughs) because you're not agreeing to what she demands and this person who thus far has ignored orders ignored (laughs) you know hidden from things not gone to her scheduled activities all of the order that coin tries to create and maintain katniss is just a storm tearing everything (laughs) down (laughs) and it's great and i love it but Coin would not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I love when she says that she agrees to be the Mockingjay right before she gives her conditions. And all these people are like, yes, and, you know, excited about it. And Coin is not. She's just sitting there staring at her because I feel like she almost assumes there is something else coming Mm. here. And also she doesn't want to show that we need you. She wants to be impassive because, in my mind, she would think of being the Mockingjay as Katniss's duty to this war, to the revolution, and Katniss hasn't been doing that. Mm -hmm. She's just chosen not to when she has skills to offer up. And we know as soon as she got to District 13, her 
medicine from the arena was confiscated for mm-hmm. use, which is like, great. Yeah, use it if people need it. It should be kept with medical supplies if medical supplies are low. But seeing how so many resources are shared and it's all about kind of for the common good, we do these different things. Katniss not doing something for the common good, I imagine Coin would very much judge and be even like more frustrated with her. Yeah, it's the other side of the coin of our conversation last week oh, about wink, wink, about uh, the term soldier, soldier ever mm-hmm. because being a soldier doesn't just come with the benefits of being a citizen, but it also comes with the expectations, the duties, the responsibilities that, and the assumption that you're going to follow orders. So yeah, it could be that she calls Katniss Soldier Everdeen also as a way of being like, you're a soldier, act like it. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, look at all the ways that you are failing the expectations that I have for you. Mm -hmm. And you should be under my command. Yeah. (laughs) And I was also thinking it was interesting in that exchange during the command meeting that Coin wants to flip for who gets to kill Snow between Mm -hmm. her and Katniss. And, you know, what does Coin have in the game? You know, like, what personally that she would have a reason to want to kill Snow? Like, even though I don't like revenge, you know, I'm not for any of these things, you understand why Katniss wants to kill Snow. Yeah. But for Coin, sure, she's, and her people have lived underground and... Things haven't been great, but she wasn't atomic bombed, you know? She she was born after that, and sure, they've gone through struggles, but the personalness, I think, is missing that is there for Katniss. So I was just thinking of her wanting to, for credit, yeah. that I am the one leading the district that will bring this revolution to victory and I will show my power to the entire country by killing the current president but also maybe you know not wanting to say like no I'm gonna do it but leaving it open for either because I imagine she would also want to test the waters of seeing at the point in time when this would be done, who would it be best coming from? Mm-hmm. Would this make me seem like a tyrant, you know, and th- th- those sort of things. So it was kind of a calculation I was thinking about her having in her own mind. Absolutely, um, yeah. When she's making these agreements. Yeah, and, and I think that that's something that they're doing a great job of establishing very early on, is how calculating coin is. Yeah. How coinculating. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was I was just feeling the word irksome. Mm. That's how she feels. Katniss is that that is Katniss to her. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's also great that she wanted to save Peta. She didn't want Katniss. Mm-hmm. Katniss isn't as controlled or controllable as Peta is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> A lot more chaos coming with Katniss. <laughs> yeah. Because Katniss, she just doesn't work within the parameters that are set up for her. Exactly. And Coin loves parameters. <laughs> <laughs> but what about you? Who were you POVing? Uh, I was thinking about Plutarch because I think Plutarch is in an interesting position in these chapters. He is clearly a part of command he has a prestigious and powerful position he has lots of plans that he's planning on he's going to follow through on that are really essential to the rebellion and he's someone who left his very powerful position in the capital to do so and so i see this really interesting balance between this kind of idealism that he has of what is right and what needs to be done at the social level Mm. and this pragmatism that he has of how to get things done even if it's messy even if it's immoral or insincere yeah Yeah, i I think when we sorted him we put him as a ravenclaw that is willing to sacrifice greatly but it's just because he believes in the theory Mm -hmm. yeah 
And yeah, so I, I was thinking a lot about how he was thinking about what to do in these situations. Um, we already know that it's been hard for him not having coffee, not having a <laughs> black market. Yeah. You know, wanting not only his position of power, but also the comforts that come with illicit activities. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know that he needed a black market as much in the capital because he could just have whatever he wanted. But the fact that District 13 just doesn't have one means he can't get things that aren't sanctioned or aren't available, you know? Yeah, true. I mean, it it raises the question of what black market did he participate in? I mean, that's in, true. In, in the capital. Because it could have been a black market that he participated in as a seller rather than as a buyer where he used his position of power to gain even more wealth in ways that were not exactly above board Mm -hmm. um i mean yeah and i'm sure there's other ways that he could be gross or corrupt or whatever even if in the overarching ideas that he has he's right mm -hmm. but yeah we know we don't know yeah exactly what we do know is that cis men having a lot of power is usually not a great thing for their morality. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the whole axiom power corrupts, um, especially corrupts them. <laughs> but yeah, so, so especially thinking about his decision not to share Sina's designs early. Mm-hmm. I think is really interesting because he's someone who he even says, I was really tempted to give yeah. it to you, even though I promised Cinna I wouldn't. And we don't see that like Cinna left a note saying, Hey, I told Plutarch not to give this to you and you know, there there isn't necessarily accountability mm-hmm. for him to break this promise. Cinna's not around anymore to yeah. hold him to it. So there's even there a kind of idealism, I think, involved. Yeah, as this rebellion is going on, this war is going on, not great probably in many ways. Uh, he is personally struggling without the comforts that he wants. Mm-hmm. This is some an avenue that he could have taken to maybe get Katniss to sign on earlier. And he doesn't take it. Yeah, I mean, he has staked his entire life and probably if he has any family, their lives on joining the revolution. Mm -hmm. And if they're losing, or if they do lose because Katniss doesn't sign on to being the Mockingjay, I mean, not that it's all Katniss, and if she doesn't do something, everything else will fail, but if it could help provide that little extra that would make a difference in the outcome, yeah, he's risk everything for this, and... Yeah, it it shows an incredible amount of control, and I'm not sure what. We we don't know if it's an ethical matter for Mm -hmm. him, that because he promised, he can't break his promise. Because it was essentially Sina's dying wish. Mm -hmm. Or if he actually had a good relationship with Sina. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they are both these two really important rebels in the capital and so maybe they were able to share a lot more Mm. and seeing the risk that Cinna took and it did result in his death and Plutarch taking a similar risk knowing that they both felt so much conviction that they could take these actions yeah I could see that bonding them yeah certainly and so yeah maybe it, it, it was more a relational thing and also maybe it's he has like a higher level of <laughs> ethics as well seeing the importance of what Cinna saw mm-hmm. that she should choose for herself to do this or not because this is a really difficult role to be in and if you're forced into it that is wrong that's unfair that's damaging versus if you choose it at least you had agency in that so yeah i I don't know where he would fall in all of those reasons or maybe it's a combination of all of them yeah and and probably also some calculating aspect of his own because i can imagine him also thinking like what is going to make katniss trust me more Mm -hmm. because that's such an important thing that he has to maintain and yeah so 
all of those thoughts kind of came to my mind as I was trying to think about, you know, his own mind. And, and I also think he's going through having to reevaluate and, and readjust his ideas of pragmatism and his decision making. Mm-hmm. The, the idea of Buttercup, I think, highlighted this yeah. how he and the other capital rebels were all like yeah that's no problem cat. Yeah, cat. okay cool let's go on to the next thing like yeah absolutely we'd love to make you happy in that way if you'll be the mocking jay sounds great and then district 13 people are like Whoa, wait no we need to figure out how that would possibly work here we're not gonna feed it yeah and you know he's not used to having to think about small things like that he's uh you know Everything's done for him for most of his life, and that's a privilege that he is having to confront that is going to touch so many different places, including everything down to cat's waste, which, yeah, you know, I mean, thinking about our own society, we have a cat. She's sitting right next to us as we record. (laughs) Yeah. She uses kitty litter. Mm -hmm. We throw that away into trash. I don't know where it goes after that. Yeah. You know? It's true. So yeah, it's, it's, I just find it very interesting to think about how Plutarch is himself still adjusting to this new environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's very interesting and mysterious because <laughs> it's just like, what is going on in your mind? And because I would, I would just assume that he would do whatever was most practical, mm-hmm. not what was most ethical. How do you get to be the head game maker if it's not about doing what's practical? Yeah. You know, because he didn't even know that it was going to that they were going to break everyone out and there was going to be this thing. I mean, maybe they would have decided to go with that plan anyway, even if it weren't Victor. It wasn't Victor's in the arena just to start the war with a bang. Yeah. But somehow disrupt the games yeah Yeah. but clearly what he did and what he did up until that point to get to be head game maker like he has been so closely involved with the death the state violence against all of these people for so long yeah we don't know at what point he decided to be a rebel and things like that but even if it had been since he started on this track that means he was justifying the means by the ends Mm -hmm. Uh, but in this scenario he didn't in a way he he stuck to his promise to senna yeah which is just a very interesting choice totally yeah well let's move on to our next segment these are our touch points where we see connections between the text and things in our own society what touch points did you have to share wondering why Fulvia was massaging Plutarch's shoulders Mm. after he complained about not having coffee. I'm just like, what is their relationship like? Maybe they're really great friends or maybe they are in a romantic relationship. Who knows? And we don't know how old Fulvia is. Maybe Mm -hmm. they're around the same age, but I always imagined her younger. Not not Camus's age or anything, but like maybe in her 30s or early 40s and him in his 50s yeah and him having this position of power having been a head game maker it just leads me to some questions about power dynamics and how those things can be abused and yeah yeah just it just made me a lot of little questions and a little red flag go up in my mind of what's going on here yeah that's so true i work up to three jobs every year at this Mm -hmm. point which means i have to take so many sexual (laughs) harassment classes Uh, one for every university you teach at exactly at least once a year so i've seen so many badly acted videos (laughs) of these kind of quid pro quo relationships that's like now i'm just slotting venia and plutarch into those and yeah this idea of like then a quiz afterwards being like could fulvia file a complaint for sexual harassment here Uh, and then like four multiple choices that like the answer is so obvious but yes uh (laughs) the answer is almost always yes (laughs) will the university do anything about it 
Probably no. Funnily enough, that's not on the question. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're you're so right. There's no way there isn't some kind of power differential affecting their relationship in really powerful ways. Yeah, definitely. Another quick thing I was thinking about is when Gail says, you're going to be the best dressed rebel in history. And I was just kind of thinking about the evolution of presentation and Mm. how that can impact revolutions and social movements and action in a way that it just didn't pre-television and pre-smartphone and all of these things that people are recording themselves. People are talking about these things and putting them on YouTube and, and doing Instagram lives and all of these different things where, you know, before what you'd be standing in a crowd at a town square with pitchforks <laughs> yelling. I mean, sure, this is very characterized, but you mm-hmm. know, it's just like having this whole other level of presentation I think is really interesting and also really frustrating that it's a part of a revolution that is against oppression and capitalism and all of these different things and and excess and things like that and how she's dressed matters you know totally and yeah we 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 don't know what Washington was actually wearing when he crossed the Delaware. Uh, I doubt it was whatever's in that painting. And I'm pretty sure there wasn't a bare-chested version of Liberty floating in the air above him. Well, we don't have his uh, wooden teeth and formerly (laughs) enslaved people's teeth depicted in those images. No, we do not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So... Yeah, uh, there was this really interesting book I read in college called The Making of a President, something like that, but talking about it really mattering that Nixon sweat a lot because now these things are televised. Now you're having debates being recorded and you can see how people look and that influences how people react to it because in polling after a debate like that they would see that people who watched it would think the opponent won people who just listened to it would think that nixon won and it's just very interesting stuff because of presentation yeah and i i feel like we see that coming through a bit here when they're talking about how you have to look and what image we're going for as the mockingjay and things like that yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had a student who did this really amazing research project on fashion at protests since mm. the civil rights movement to Black Lives Matter. And he was talking about how, particularly in the 1960s, people who took part in these protests would wear their Sunday best to the protests because they always wanted to look as respectable as possible. Um, it was part of this idea of civil disobedience, of being so put together in nice suits and dresses that they, yeah, look, you know, in a way respectable um, as they're doing what they're doing. And as the incorrect stereotypes are, you know, their visual presentation undermines some of those. Not that that changes people's minds or anything like that, but right. it's, it's one less battle. Yeah. And just, it's a another example of exactly that intention of presentation when you are rebelling mm-hmm. yeah when it's like it shouldn't matter mm-hmm. but sadly it does which i, I uh, the student's research argued is how like the hoodie has become in black lives matter protests that mm. it's worn now as a symbol of it shouldn't matter what i'm wearing mm-hmm. i shouldn't be in danger of being killed yeah and so a hoodie might be used as a, a symbol of that. So, yeah, yeah, interesting things. Yeah, that, that is very interesting. Now I'm just thinking of bra burnings. Yeah, yeah. another great idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> great idea. I mean, <laughs> great example. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other touch points? No, that's it. What about you? One that I had, which I thought was interesting, was how the command meeting waits for Katniss to write out her demands Mm -hmm. and 
it's this very interesting moment where the power that she holds in her position outweighs the ablest expectations that would come with a meeting like that. Because mm-hmm. that meeting typically would not be willing to wait for someone who is suffering from the repercussions of a concussion and trauma and all these other kinds of things. So they're only willing to do so because she holds that kind of power. And it's, I guess, kind of an interesting example of intersectionality where Mm -hmm. though she is disabled through her injuries and her trauma, society, which typically is not accommodating to those disabilities um, and, and, and create those disabilities in this one area, doesn't because it will accommodate for her mm-hmm. because of the other aspects of her identity and where what she has to offer. And yeah, that can be true in so many other ways where whether it's through ability or class or race or gender, like so many disadvantages that might come with your identity might be lessened because of other aspects of your identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I could not imagine this meeting waiting for someone to come up with their ideas that long. Um, And that's something that, you know, in the meetings that I've been in, never anything like this, but community meetings and things like that, it certainly is not something that I've thought of because I tend to be the person who's all like, okay, we need to get through this agenda. (laughs) (laughs) Which serves a purpose as well, but, you know, is that in and of itself an ableist perspective? Yeah, yeah. My other touch point was how Katniss thinks about how she and Gail don't like how they don't have control over their provisions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're thinking about how they are given a set amount of food every day and all that's calculated using these algorithms. And it means for most people in District 12 that they have food guaranteed, but for her and Gail, it means that they don't have as much control over providing for their family as they're used to and it just was interesting because it it reminded me so much of arguments against communism and communal control over resources there's a 1950s cartoon that was created that i use in my classes when i'm talking about the red scare and (laughs) anti-communism in the u.s because it's just this great, like, cartoon with, you know, bits of humor put in to make it appeal to young people. <laughs> and it's all about how, sure, communism promises all of these great things, but what they're really doing is they're taking away your choice. They're taking away your liberty, your ability to live off of your own sweat and your to make your own decisions and, and all these other kinds they're of things. They're taking away your choice to be filthy rich and not care about all the people who are dying because of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... So scary. <laughs> it's just a really amazing source that I, I, I love to use. But Katniss's perspective here, I think, is really interesting because she talks about how it makes her uncomfortable, but then she also is like, but... The other District 12 kids look healthier. They've Mm -hmm. put on weight. She essentially notes that it is working on a communal level, that this kind of resource management, even in a already resource-strapped community like District 12, is making it so that everyone is getting what they need to an extent, Mm -hmm. uh, even if not everyone has what they want. Yeah, I just think that that's a, a really interesting moment because... She's giving an example of her discomfort with District 13, which I think is important narratively, but it's also showing ways in which just because something is controlling, it doesn't automatically make things good or bad. You know, there's much more complicated kind of things going on here, which I appreciate that nuance. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And just like, even if it's not wrong, just the uncomfortableness that you face when people are doing something in a way that is so different from how you did it yeah. and and challenges that your survival depended exactly. on you know yeah. like it's not just like the cultural difference but it was one of the few ways Katniss and Gail actually had agency mm-hmm. in in district 12 and that they were able to provide 
so that their younger siblings didn't have to get tesserae so that you know they they weren't starving to death like other people in district 12 were yeah absolutely it, it's not a perfect example because their hunting was not economically or ecologically destructive mm-hmm. but it it makes me think of the people who work in coal mining or in automobile manufacturing that focus on fossil fuel consumption who are against turning to green energy because it would lose them their jobs. So things that they survive on currently would be threatened. Even though it's... personal survival is more important than the survival of the planet. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Which Katniss isn't saying, but it's the uncomfortableness that, you know, she's rubbing up against. Precisely, yeah. Which, yeah, I think it's an important thing for us to to reflect on considering we live in a planet with limited resources as much as Americans like to think differently uh there are limited resources here and we need to learn how to use them better because not everyone has access to them even now um and that's just gonna get worse and worse absolutely yeah well let's move on to our wonderment the questions that we have from this chapter what'd you have so one is What kind of secrets does Prim have that she keeps from her mom? Mm, That's true. She says that she she's good at doing so. Yeah. I don't know what they would be, but I'm just very curious. Yeah, it's a good question. I was also wondering what this nuclear history class is. No, that one's mine. Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) It was mine. (laughs) You can't have it too. Yeah, no, uh, that blew my mind wide open. <laughs> I read this one line about nuclear history class, because, uh, yeah, what what's taught there? Do they still teach about Hiroshima and Nagasaki? <laughs> like... Yeah, like, I think that it's definitely makes sense to argue nuclear weapons have been important to history. But as a nuclear state... What perspective are they studying (laughs) that history from? (laughs) Whose side are they on? But they also know the situation they're in because of it, too. Totally, yeah. So it's very complicated. (laughs) Yeah, very, very interesting. And I'm also wondering how they handle that curriculum for these incoming new refugees. (laughs) They're going to have different ages, they're going to have different needs than, than someone who's lived in District 13 their whole life, um, and someone like Katniss, who hasn't been going for a while, like, you know, how do you catch them up, you know, if this is one class they share, so, Do they do a little field trip upstairs and look at the rubble? (laughs) Yeah, all sorts of questions about that class. Yes, definitely. And the last one I was just wondering about is how Plutarch got the room number where Katniss's prep team was being held prisoner. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, was that a situation where someone slipped it to him secretly because the general public, particularly Katniss, aren't supposed to know that they're being beaten and tortured? Or, you know, what was the prep team's captivity? Is it not supposed to be secret because, like, this is just the punishment if you go against the rules? And so, yeah, I'm just very curious on how he got that number and what the intention behind that number was because the guard is like you need to leave but he got the number somehow yeah yeah i definitely read it as the latter that there's a sense of normality to this um and we're definitely gonna have a lot to talk about this for next week too when we start hearing some different perspectives on it which i think is is going to be really compelling but what about you? What are your wonderments? I was just thinking about that nuclear history class. <laughs> that was it? That was it. I had like three qu- questions within the question <laughs> no, about what this fine. nuclear history class is. Because, yeah, that's just uh, very, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into our last segment, which is our intentions. What we're taking away from this conversation and this chapter. I was kind of thinking about Katniss not telling Gail that one of her demands was for... PETA's amnesty Mm. and how sometimes I'll just avoid things because it just doesn't feel worth the effort to address something not that I'm conflict averse in like relationships like ours (laughs) I was gonna say I think you're talking about me no I know but like 
there's things where it's just for example she doesn't listen to this so it's fine <laughs> well one of my sisters i i've had different conflicts with and there's like several things i just haven't addressed because i just don't feel like it's worth the energy to do mm -hmm. so but then eventually if i do then i'll be like why didn't you do this early you know so it just it can make things messy so i think like trying to more intentionally sometimes make those decisions of why this and not that because katniss doesn't really go through those steps and like mm. i got it she's got a lot on her mind and her plate and everything but not that gail would have necessarily been have been happy about it but knowing that she didn't tell she she kept that information from him you know might also be hurtful whereas the other wouldn't be hurtful it would maybe just make him feel uncomfortable or unhappy um so yeah just just thinking about that yeah that's good is that gonna be your takeaway too no you don't want to try to commit to oh, doing yeah, that no no that sounds <laughs> terrifying uh no i was thinking about plutarch's entitlement the i mean a lot of entitlement from these capital I mean, people <laughs> so much right you know his for coffee but also yeah this this idea of them not having to think about who's going to take care of a cat and it just makes me want to be a little bit more critical myself of the small things that i am entitled to feel entitled to yeah exactly uh that's a much better way of putting it thank you because there's so many things that we are trained not to question, not to think about. And where our cat litter goes is among the least of those. Uh, but there's so much of that that I think um, I would like to, yeah, think a little bit more critically on because that can always not only provide more information for the small decisions we make in our lives, but also the conversations that I'll be having with students and, and other kinds of folks. So. That knowledge, I think, is always useful to have. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I think that will wrap up this discussion. So what's happening next time on The Hunger Games? Well, because so much happens again, we are going to do another single chapter episode next week. So we will be reading chapter four, where Katniss gets put on notice. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you join us on Patreon so that you can get access to all the special features that we have just for our supporters. We really enjoyed the live session that we had with our patrons on Catching Fire. And if you sign up, you can join us for the live session we'll have on Mockingjay once we finish the book. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. Find our designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Instagram or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.